0: morning again. So two weeks ago uh, began a series we are calling Unsung. We're talking about some of the female heroes in the Bible. The reason we're doing this is because the Bible was written during a time of patriarchy where, where the entire, almost all cultures at that time, men were the rulers. And yet, as we read through the Scripture, we see that Over and over, at crucial periods in Israel's history, women show up as saviors, as prophets, as rescuers, as deliverers of God's Word. And this is sort of unique in a culture. Even even ancient Israel was a patriarchal culture, and yet we see that there are these stories of God using women to accomplish great things. And they're stories because oftentimes we, uh, we still suffer sometimes from a vision that's tainted by patriarchy. We often tend to fully appreciate the contribution of women throughout the The Bible. A lot of the stories that we think of, I gave you a little experiment two weeks ago. I asked you to think of your favorite Bible hero, and almost nobody mentioned a woman, right? And and yet, as we read through the story, there are lots of women who did incredible, remarkable feats for God. And so, we're we're taking a series focusing specifically on those people. Uh, So, in the first week, we looked at the book of Genesis, uh, and I showed you that in the very beginning, God's intention was always for women to be on an equal level with man. That the 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 phrase that's often translated, uh, you know, if you're familiar with the King James, which is what I grew up on, a help meet. We think of a help meet as sort of like a, a, a subordinate or a secretary or something like that. And, and yet, when we look at what that word actually means in the Hebrew, we see that God created a, an equal companion to man, and it was only after the original sin that we see that, that women start to fulfill the subservient role to men. But from the beginning, the, the, anybody remember the Hebrew phrase? I'll give you a quiz. All right, that's okay. Ezer Ezerkonegdo. ezerkonegdo, It's the word that's translated in the King James, a help meets, or in the New International, a helper suitable. Really, it should be translated something along the lines of um, a a helper um, comparable to. uh, One one Jewish rabbi translated it as a power equal to. The word help is often, most often used to reference God as the rescuer and savior of his people. Uh, But... As time went on, we sort of see that women start to take the subservient role as the, as the patriarchy of the culture sort of takes root. And so we're going to, uh, in that first series, we looked at two women um, that most people don't even know their names. Anybody remember the names of the first two women we looked at? That was close. That was close. Shifra and Pua, right Shifra and Pua, they were the Hebrew midwives who saved the Hebrew baby boys, stood up against Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at that time, Shifra and Pua, and they were rescuers, they were deliverers, they were Ezerdos power you know they were powerful, strong women so The first week we looked at women who were sort of unknown in Scripture, and today we're going to look at another more well-known woman, but I think often underappreciated woman. And we're going to look at Deborah. We're going to look at Deborah. Today's uh, I like alliteration, so the title of today's sermon is Deborah Gets Her Due. Deborah gets her due because I think that she's often underappreciated in the teachings about women. Uh, so we meet Deborah in the book of Judges, but I'm going to give you a little bit of background to understand how we get to Deborah. Uh, first week we looked at uh, Shifra and Pua, they were midwives in Egypt. Uh, As you're familiar with Old Testament history, if you're familiar with the story, you know that the slaves, uh, the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt for a period of time until God raised up Moses, the prophet and the judge who led the the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and uh, up to the promised land, and that takes place in the, in the books of Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and all of that. And then we get to the book of Joshua. Joshua was Moses' Moses's protege, and Joshua leads the people into the promised land and helps them to secure the land that God had promised them. And, and so the book of Joshua is all about them entering into the land. And then after the book of Joshua, we come to the book of Judges. Judges takes place, it's the period of time after Joshua dies. And so, at the beginning of the book of Judges, the author gives us sort of a, an overview of the scenario and an introduction to the book of Judges. So, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Judges chapter 2, Judges chapter 2, and I'm going to give you sort of the background information that leads us up to Deborah. Judges chapter 2, will begin in verse 8. Here's how the author tells it. Joshua, the son of Nun, he didn't have any parents. Ah, pastor joke. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at tinmath in uh in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. You all know where that is, right? You went there last week. Uh, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors another gener- oh i'm sorry i got ahead of you another generation grew up who knew neither the lord nor what he had done for israel so joshua died all of the people who had been in that original generation who had seen god work in bringing them into the promised land they had also died and so now you have a generation of people who did not personally witness god's saving power bringing them out of egypt and into the promised land that's what the author of judges is getting us to understand they didn't know they didn't personally see God at work. And so because of that, uh, they started to forget the commandments and the power of God. And so as the story goes on, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals. The Baals, that was a Canaanite deity. Uh, Baal was the, the Canaanite god of storms and fer- fertility. So the Canaanites, the people who were living in that land, they would worship and they would serve the god Baal, hoping that Baal would give them favor in their crops, would send rain and help their crops to grow so that they would have bounty. And so the the Israelites who were living in this land, who were surrounded by other Canaanites, began to stop serving the god who had brought them out of Egypt and began to start serving the the Canaanite god of Baal, The author tells us they forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. Ashtoreth was another one of those uh, Canaanite deities. And so uh, the Ashtoreth, they would have like these groves of trees or these wooden posts and they would worship Baal and they would worship Ashtoreth. And as if you're familiar with, you know, the, the covenant that God instituted with his people through Moses, what was the first commandment? Thou shalt have... No other gods before me or beside me, right? And so we see Israel now forsaking God and starting to serve these other balls. And so uh, the author tells us God's response. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. I talked about this a few weeks ago. Oftentimes, God's judgment was a judgment of withdrawal. He made an agreement with his people. He said, if you will be my people, if you will follow my commandments, I will be with you and I will protect you from the nations around you. But he said, if you stop." If you break your end of the deal, basically which says that's what a covenant is, a covenant is a deal between two parties, God says, if you keep my commandments, I will be with you and protect you. He says, but if you break my commandments, I will withdraw my protection from you and you will be susceptible to the people around you. That was one of the forms of judgment. That's what we see happening now in the book of Judges among this generation of Israelites who didn't know the Lord. And so now they're starting to experience oppression from their neighbors because God has withdrawn his protection from them. So that's sort of the background. And then here's the introduction that the author gives us to the judges. Here's what he says Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn they were in great distress. But then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. So I've got a question for you Who raised up the judges? the lord right the lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders yet they would not listen to their judges but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them they quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the lord's commands author goes on whenever the lord who raised up the judge don't forget that. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived, for the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. So there was this cycle. The, the, the author of Judges is giving us an introduction. He's saying there's these judges. Whenever the people would be oppressed, they would sort of repent. Oh, we're being oppressed. God, help us. And so God, being a loving and compassionate God, would send them a judge. He would raise up a judge who would then lead them. And while the judge led them, God would be with them and would protect them and would push back the people who oppressed them. And so there was a cycle. But, the author goes on, when the judge died the people returned to their ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors following other gods and serving and worshipping them they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways so this is the the introduction to the book of judges and if you read through the the rest of the book, you'll see this pattern, and it gets worse and worse and worse. The people disobey God. God raises up a judge to deliver and save them. While the judge is alive, the people are obedient. God is with him. There's peace in the land. The judge dies. The people fall back into rebellion against God, and it just gets worse and worse and worse throughout the course of the book. The people just become more and more and more disobedient as time goes on. So that's the The author is giving us a preview of the rest of the book. The preview is God's people disobey, God raises up a judge, things are good, judge dies, God's people disobey, wash, rinse, repeat, right? So uh, now, if you read chapter 3, we read the story of two different judges. Uh, We'll skip over those for this sermon. We're going to move to chapter 4, who is either the third or the fourth judge, depending on the chronology you look at. So Judges chapter 4, verse 1. We'll see how the cycle is repeating. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. Ehud was one of the judges. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Heresheth, Hagoim. Right Right down the street, uh, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. You see the cycle. Now, Deborah, the prophet, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading or judging Israel at that time. Now let me ask you a question. Who raised up the judges? Deborah was a judge. Yeah. Who raised up the judges? Deborah was a judge. Who raised up Deborah? I'll tell you why I'm, why I'm rubbing this in in just a minute. It tells us that Deborah was a prophet. As we've talked about before, prophets were spokespeople for God. They were the ones that God gave his messages to to deliver to the people. That's a pretty big deal. To be a prophet, to have a direct connection with God, to speak God's word to the people was a very important role in ancient Israel in the Old Testament. Now it tells us that Deborah was a prophet. This is already a big deal. This shows us that God was willing to work with Deborah, a woman in, the, in an age of patriarchy, and he delivered his message to her and she would deliver God's word to the people. We'll see how that happened in just a minute also tells us that Deborah was, according to this translation, the wife of Lapidoth, the wife of Lapidoth. Now, what's very interesting here is that scholars have told us that in that time period, we don't know of any other people by the name of Lapidoth. That's not a common Hebrew name during that time. So I'm going to get a little nerdy. For those of you who like nerdy in Hebrew, you'll appreciate this. If not, just bear along, and we'll get back to this in a minute. What's translated here as the wife of Lapidoth could also be translated. Lapidoth means torches. Uh, And so the way that Hebrew works is there's multiple ways often to translate one particular phrase. Wife of Lapidoth is one valid translation, but it's not the only translation. It could also be translated as, like I told you, Lapidoth means torches. could be translated as a woman of torches, which idiomatically means a fiery woman, right? Now, and I think that there's a, we should pay attention to this, especially because Lapidoff was not a name. We don't have any other records of anybody else named Lapidoff. In other words, this is a translational decision, and for whatever reason, most most translations tend to go with this, but nothing else indicates that Deborah was married, and translationally speaking, we don't have to say that she was married. We could say, now Deborah, a prophet, a fiery woman, was leading or judging Israel at that time, and I think as we go into the story, we're going to see that that actually fits very well. It's very possible, I think very likely, that Deborah was indeed an unmarried, strong, fiery woman who was leading Israel during this time, and I think sometimes we just assume that she had to have been married when that's not necessarily the case according to the Hebrew. So however you want to take it, both are are valid translations, But, but given the fact that we don't know of anybody else in that time period named Lapidoff, I think fiery woman is actually a pretty good translation, and it encapsulates what she does for Israel pretty well. Now Deborah, a prophet, the, uh, a fiery woman, was leading or judging Israel at that time. Who raised up the judges? The Lord raised up the judges. Why am I harping on this? Because as Bible teachers, especially male Bible teachers, have been teaching the story of Deborah. They have been so bothered by the fact that God so clearly raised up a female leader in Israel, they have bent over backwards to discredit her leadership. Uh, For example, one of the arguments is, well, in this particular passage, it doesn't say specifically that God raised up Deborah. Right? Some of the other judges, it says God raised up Ehud, God raised up Othniel, whatever. In this passage, it doesn't say specifically that God raised her up. But as we start from the beginning, who raised up the judges? You guys are so good. The Lord raised them up. Uh, so it, it, the, the reason I'm harping on this is because, and I'm, I'm going to get to this again at the end. If Deborah's name was replaced with a male and we read this story, there would be no question whatsoever that this person functioned as the leader of the nation during this time. But because she's a woman, and because there are people who are just so, they're, they've bought into this idea that God just can't or won't use women leaders, they've bent over backwards to discredit or, or diminish her leadership. And so in this series, Unsung, where we're singing the songs of unappreciated and underappreciated women, I'm going to sing Deborah's song, and we are going to restore her to the the full credit she deserves as a leader of Israel. So the next verse is going to tell us part of her ministry as a judge to Egypt. The next verse is also a verse that people who try to discredit use to diminish her leadership. Here's what it says. She held courts under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. In other words, there was a, a palm tree, the palm of Deborah, right? That's where do you find Deborah? She's at the palm of Deborah. That makes sense. Um, so they'd go there, and they would, they would bring her disputes to her, and she would judge between them. Now, the, the people who try to discredit Deborah say, oh, look, see, her ministry was just private, it was just between individuals. It wasn't national leadership. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And as I read this verse, I was like, wow. That, 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 that's vaguely reminiscent of someone else that I know in the Bible who did something similar. And as I thought about it, I remembered where I saw it. So I'm going to take you on a journey back to Exodus chapter 18. Moses answered Jethro, because the people come to me to seek God's will, whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees, God's decrees and instructions. Now Moses is perhaps the quintessential leader of the Israelites in the Old Testament, and he functioned by one of his functions was to settle personal disputes between the Israelites. This was one of his main jobs. And Deborah is functioning in a nearly identical role. I believe that the author of Judges is helping us to see that there is a very clear parallel between Moses and Deborah. If anything, I believe this gives, this gives Deborah's leadership more legitimacy, not less. So Deborah functions by one of her functions as the judge of Israel at that time is to solve disputes in the same way that Moses did generations before. The story goes on. It says, She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. Now, this phrase here, she sent for Barak, this is a phrase that is often used of a king or, or, or a god sending for a subordinate. Right? This is what people in authority do. They send for people who are of lesser authority and give them instructions. Again, if it was any other, if it was a man doing this, we would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the person sending for Barak and giving commands was the one in authority. For some reason, because she's a woman, people who try to discredit women in leadership translate this all sorts of different ways. Deborah is the one who received the word from God. She is functioning, in this sense, sort of like the commander-in-chief, right? She's not the one who is ultimately going to lead the battle, run into battle, but she's the one giving the commands. And as we're going to see, she's the one who has the overall strategy and is, is leading the overall campaign. Here's what she says. She says, "'I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands.' In other words, she has the overall vision, she has the overall strategy, and she is delegating commands to the general who is functionally beneath her in authority. Now again, the people who try to discredit her leadership, they'll look at this and they'll say, she called Barak aside privately. You know, She talked to him in private so as not to embarrass him. We would not read that that way if that was a man giving instructions. This is what we call in the theological world, eisegesis, reading something into the text that's not there. Biblical interpretation, good biblical interpretation, is done by what's called exegesis. It's you pull out from the text what is there. We don't read things into the text that's not there. There's no reason to assume that Deborah is functioning any differently than any other judge in this particular case. So the story goes on. Next verse. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I will not go. Now, some people reading this, they see weakness or cowardice on Barak's part, as if he can't go to war without uh, a woman there and this is disparaging to women, of course, Um, but there are other scholars who tell us that that's not necessarily the best case to read this. Uh, Tikva Frymer-Kensky, who I I quoted in the first sermon of this series, uh, has demonstrated that it was very common in that time period for generals going out to war to want their prophets to be alongside of them because they believed that the prophets could tell them when the right day to attack was because their God was with them. As a matter of fact, if... In the the Greek translation of this story, Barak actually says, I won't know what day to attack unless you tell me. So this isn't Barak's cowardice. It was very common for military leaders to want the prophets of the gods to be with them so they would have the gods' protection with them in battle. So Deborah responds. She says, certainly I will go with you. Uh, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Now, again, this translation makes it seem like it was Barak's hesitancy as the reason that he's not going to get the glory for the battle. Uh, and that, that's one legitimate way of looking at it. That, that is one valid way of looking at it. But I don't think it's the only way, and I don't even think it's the best way of looking at it. Uh, If you read through the stories of the Old Testament in terms of battles, you'll constantly see that God is always working in ways so that the people themselves don't get the glory for the victory. Right? He'll send uh, hornets or he'll send rocks or hailstones, all of these things. God always wants the glory to be on him and he doesn't want his people to think that they won battles because of their own strength or their own glory. So this isn't to say that Barak is a coward for wanting Deborah to come or that the reason that Barak doesn't get the glory is because he wanted a woman to be alongside him. This means that God wanted the glory for himself. And if you read through the rest of the story, towards the end of chapter 4, we'll see that uh, God takes glory for himself by using a woman, not Deborah, but a woman by the name of Yael, uh, to bring about the victory. Uh, So, uh, to summarize the rest of the story, uh, Barak goes off to war. Deborah gives him, you know, today the Lord has given you this, this, this army in battle. Barak's army routs the, the, the enemies. They push them back. The leader, Sisera, of the, other, uh, of the other side, runs away and he hides in the tent of a woman named Yael. Um, I won't tell you how the story ends. You should go back and read it for yourself. It's really crazy. You need to read your Bible. So read Judges chapter 4. See how Yael, another woman, saves the day. It's kind of R-rated. So, I won't won't finish that right now. I will now, and then if you get to chapter 5, it's called The Song of Deborah and Barak, and so they sing this song about their victory. It's really cool, Um, but we're not going to go through that today in the interest of time. Uh, I wanted to get to the very end of the story. Judges chapter 5, verse 31, summarizes Deborah's leadership. It says, the land had peace 40 years. The land had peace for 40 years. Now, let me remind you what the introductory summary said about the ministry of the judges. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of their hands, out of the hands of their enemies, as long as the judge lived, for the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed them. So this indicates to me that Deborah continued to lead these people for 40 more years. If we take the introductory summary and we apply it to Deborah's life, it seems like as long as Deborah was alive, there was peace. And if you actually, if you read into chapter 6, you'll see that very quickly after that, they began serving other gods again. So under Deborah's leadership, Israel had peace for 40 years. 40 years in the Old Testament is often um, the sort of language to indicate an entire generation. For an entire generation, under the ministry and leadership of this fiery woman, Israel had peace. So you might be thinking to yourself, okay, so what? Right, so what? What does this ancient story about people who lived in a land nothing like ours, in a culture nothing like ours, engaging in battles nothing like what we do? What does this have to do with us today? Well, one of the reasons I wanted to do this is because Deborah's leadership has been discredited by people who refuse to believe that God would ever call or choose or empower a woman to lead. As a matter of fact, they use this text as evidence that a a, a woman's leadership was actually judgment on Israel. And, folks, there is simply no evidence for this in the text. So, one of the reasons, the so what of this, is we want to give Deborah her due, right? We want, to, we want to give Deborah the credit for what God really did call her and empower her to do. I've seen others, and I've heard other people tell me, uh, I, I, I did an informal poll on social media and I asked, who's ever heard this? Um, this version, that, that Deborah only led because there were no men available, or there were no men who were willing, or that this was God's judgment. And you wouldn't believe how many women had been told this story. You know, they, they believe they have gifts and callings for leadership, and they, and they point to Deborah as an example of a leader that God raised up, and are told by men in authority, oh, well, God only used Deborah because there were no other men available. Or God only used Deborah because it was judgment against their weakness. Or God only used Deborah. I mean, God could speak through the mouth of a donkey. He could speak through the mouth of a woman. How insulting is that? These are things that preachers actually say. And it's malarkey. It's very misogynistic. As I mentioned earlier, if we were to read this story and replace Deborah's name with the name of a male... And change all the hers and he's, all the hers and she's to hims and he's. There would be no question whatsoever that this person functioned as the true judge and leader of this nation. But for some reason, because she's a woman, there have been people in authority who try to uphold systems of power and oppression that try to discredit Deborah from what God had called her to do. And in doing so, they're insulting to Deborah. They're insulting to God and His choice and prerogative. God can call whom God chooses to do whatever God wants them to do. God does not care about, I'll be PG, your gender. And it's insulting to the men of the time who were there and Barak who who followed through with the instructions that that he was given and his humility to to listen to a woman in leadership and, and to go out and do what was told. There's no reason whatsoever to assume that Deborah's leadership was anything other than God-ordained, God-inspired, and God-empowered. So here's the bottom line. God can and does call and empower women to lead. God can and does call and empower women to lead. Women... In the room and watching online, I want you to hear this. If you feel as if God is calling you to a position of ministry or leadership, that is a legitimate calling for you and your life. Don't let anyone tell you that God does not call women to lead because he clearly does. Here's just one example in Scripture. Men, God can and does call and empower women to lead. And we are in no place to judge whom God has called God can and does call and empower women to lead at every level. Deborah is a clear example of that. And who are we to question God's design? Who are we to question God's intention? Who are we to question God's calling? That's right. We can't question that. We We have to go by God. Absolutely. God can and does call and empower women to lead. He did so with Deborah. He's done so with others. And He may just do so with you or a woman in your life. And who are we to stand against God? Deborah gets her due. Let's pray. Lord, I am so grateful that you have preserved this story for us in Scripture Father, that you saw fit to raise up this fiery woman, this strong woman who trusted in you, who listened to your voice, who led your people in truth and righteousness. Father, I I pray that you would help us to, to look at this story honestly, with honest eyes, to celebrate what you've done. Father, I pray that the the hooks of patriarchy that are still in us and still the, 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 the lens of patriarchy with which we approach the Scripture, that you would just cause those to fall away, that you would help us to see that you have raised men and women in equality to serve and to lead and to function for you. God, I thank you for, for Deborah. I thank you for these other women that we have looked at and will look at, and I thank you for the women today, whom you are calling, whom you are empowering, whom you are equipping to function as leaders and ministers and servants in every area and function of life, that you would be with them and guide them. And Father, I pray that you would just remove the barriers of patriarchy that we have held on to and that we have mistakenly understood as your will, But that you would help us to see Everyone through your eyes, that man or woman, young or old, black or white, that, that none of that matters to you, but that you are a God who loves each of us individually, that you are a God who gifts and calls and empowers, not according to our gender, not according to our race, not according to our age, Father, I pray that if there are if there are those women who are who are experiencing a call from you that you would you would make it clear that you would help them and give them the strength to hold on to that, and that you would continue to raise up other men and women, and that we would, that we would catch on to your vision for full equality in Christ, that we wouldn't be bound by cultural understandings, ancient understandings of of men and women in superiority and subordination, but Father, that you would help us all to reach our fullness in Christ. Thank you for this story and for the others and for those who have gone bravely to serve and to speak for you. May we recognize them and appreciate them. May we raise them up in our midst and come alongside them and listen to them as they bring to us your word and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.